Getting a voice. A voice. A voice. A voice. Voices. 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 Getting a voice. To young scientists. Greetings and welcome to the first episode of Voices of Young Scientists, the podcast of the Global Young Academy. My name is Jim Curtis. I'm the press officer of the GYA, and I'll be your host. 2020 has been filled with many surprising developments, but one of the most shocking was the death of George Floyd while being detained by police in the United States city of Minneapolis on 25 May. That act of brutality was so dismaying that it spawned a global anti-discrimination movement, in the process greatly raising the profile of Black Lives Matter, an organization that was established back in 2013. As shock over George Floyd's death turned to commitment to action, the Global Young Academy was holding its annual general meeting, this year as a virtual event. At this virtual meeting, GYA members decided on three focus areas for the upcoming year. Addressing systemic discrimination is one of these areas and begins from the commitment that the GYA should work against all systemic bias that results in discrimination. The GYA's anti-discrimination statement is the first output of the group, which is headed by GYA members Vanessa Schweitzer from the University of Waterloo, Canada, and Shalini Arya from the Institute of Chemical Technology, India. Over the last few weeks, I've been discussing the anti-discrimination statement from its conception to its release with GYA members who have been key contributors. And in this episode, you'll be hearing from young scientists and researchers from six continents as they discuss this controversial subject. We kick off today's episode with input from Professor Anina Rich, a GYA alumna and past executive committee member. Anina is the director of the Perception in Action Research Center and heads the Synesthesia at Macquarie Research Group, both located at the Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. We start out with Anina because she was not only involved in the recent anti-discrimination statement, but also in other GYA working groups throughout her time at the GYA. Anina, what drew you to the anti-discrimination working group? I was very keen to support the initiative to respond and support the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that was specific to what we at the GYA can achieve and to identify concrete ways that we might be able to improve our own practice and enhance the way that just generally in, in, in science and research that we address systemic discrimination. It was also a really important thing to have it as not just a statement, but something that was the start of an ongoing investigation, if you like, into what we do and how we do it. The idea that as the GYA, we could contribute more to anti-discrimination, I think is uh, important and something that I was very keen to, uh, to, to be involved with. Aren't there already GYA groups addressing discrimination? We have and have had a number of working groups that seek to address different types of discrimination. So, for example, the, the Women in Science Working Group, which has uh, a number of initiatives looking at the, redressing the imbalance of uh, gender equity, is has been an active group, and I've been involved with that throughout my time at the GYA. More recently, we've established a, a GYA Rainbow Incubator Group, recognising that... Uh, researchers of different 
sexual orientation and gender identification have a lot more challenges than uh, those of us who are uh, cis, cisgender and, and heterosexual. There's a lot of discrimination that you're just not aware of if it's not affecting you. So I think within the GYA, we, we already have these uh, more specific groups, but having an overarching theme that as an organisation we're committing to really brings this together and highlights also uh, the intersectionality of a lot of these discriminative processes. By having the diversity of the people within the GYA combined with the passion for social justice and kind of trying to make the world a better place, for want of a better phrase, uh, I think that we have the opportunity to really learn a lot about how we can do that and, and what it is that we individually can do, what can we do within our home institutions, what can we do within our societies and what can we do globally. One of those people Anina mentioned who are working to make the world a better place is GYA member Vanessa Schweitzer. Vanessa is the director of the Waterloo Institute for Complexity and Innovation at the University of Waterloo, Canada, a fellow at the Cascade Institute of Royal Roads University, and a council member for the Society of Risk Analysis. Vanessa, can you tell us a bit about yourself? So I'm a relatively new member to the GYA. I was inducted in 2019. I became really active this year, and I am a co-lead uh, to the focal area that is looking at anti-discrimination and how we can ensure that the GYA is in fact upholding, um, creating these welcoming environments for all kinds of talent um, from all kinds of people, as well as encouraging our members to make sure that their own institutions are likewise working against uh, any sort of practices or policies that might have these negative effects of underrepresenting uh, talent in the sciences and in research. Could you tell me a little bit about how the statement itself kind of coalesced over the time when you were working on it with other GYA members? Yeah. So the coalescing, much of it happened remotely since uh, we're figuring out how to function in the pandemic. Uh, the GYA annual meeting was virtual. So all of the interactions of the people who uh, put together the statement had been online. Um, but again, how I was mentioning that GYA members have a lot of energy, a lot of uh, commitment um, to being good uh, collaborators. Um, there was a lot of activity through this written statement, people uh, reading it very carefully and, um, and exercising a lot of care in choices of language and what are we really trying to say here? Um, so that was really great to see that people were uh, just as invested as I was in um, making sure that we were crafting a statement that represented the values of GYA. Um, and I think in the process of putting the statement together, um, it also showed that although it was inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement and, it, and we started off with wanting to have a statement that was in solidarity with that, there were other issues that 
a lot of people don't think about. Uh, for instance, you'll you'll hear in the statement that um, there is a reference to persecution. Um, there are references also to how people can be victimized by their own in-group for taking on an unconventional profession in the sciences or in research. And this is really unfortunate um, for the sciences um, and for research if we are missing entire populations of people because of misplaced beliefs that um, certain cultures are not supposed to engage um, in you know, these intellectual um, enterprises that certainly GYA members highly value. And I think also society at large um, values, you know, all kinds of global challenges we face today. I think the vast majority of people would agree that science and technology plays a role in helping us solve those challenges. Um, so my point is that GYA was also aware of these other dimensions of how oppression works that you don't necessarily hear about in something like the Black Lives Matter movement. And that was something that um, I found very enriching to see that GYA members were also bringing those issues to the fore. If I can interrupt for a second, could you give me a concrete example of, of what you're speaking about? You're talking about a, an unconventional choice of, of a career or something, but um, I'm having a hard time picturing exactly what you mean. Yes, and so I also admit um, that when I first heard about this, I had a hard time um, understanding it as well because I, I live in Canada um, and I grew up in the United States. Um, and what I was not appreciating is that there are other countries um, in the global South, for instance, um, where different populations of people perhaps have, their families have played certain traditional roles in society. Um, like their families perhaps had always had been farmers for generations, for instance, um, or their families had, had played some sort of role in society um, that was bequeathed to them. And, um, and then if they have, you know, children or, you know, young adults who decide they want to break out of that role, they want to switch um, from, from being in a, some sort of traditional fields um, that their family previously had been in. They want, to, they want to try going into academia, for instance. Uh, they want to get training and that these people will encounter barriers. That's very odd to me that um, someone should be put in that position, um, that they are, they're being asked to choose between um, what their, their history or family life has been. Like they're being, they're being told that they're not able to be both things. They're not able to um, still be part of their traditions, but then also grow in a new direction and have something like a university degree or um, or have a different kind of profession that yeah. might require them to like work in an urban area rather than living in a rural and, and working in a rural area. So um, I think it was examples of, um, of that nature. Um, and also, unfortunately, in um, for the GYM members who mentioned that this is still a problem, um, as I mentioned in, in some of the uh, Global South, um, for people like me who are from the Global North, uh, we did have a hard time understanding what they were talking about 
Um, and I suppose this is also one of those examples of what the Black Lives Matter movement tries to point out um, that the norms um, that people in the global north, and especially if we talk about white people, the lived experience of whiteness is different from the lived experience of blackness um, and other um, oppressed identities. And so it's really important for those of us who do not have these kinds of barriers in front of us to really try to, to really stop and listen and try to understand um, what the challenges are that people who are confronting these obstacles are dealing with. These obstacles are something that GYA co-chair Anandita Badra touched on when we spoke about the development of the project. But first, a bit of background on Anandita, who's been on the GYA Executive Committee for the last two years and became the co-chair in 2020. Anandita works at the Indian Institute of Science Education and Research, Kolkata, was involved in the founding of the Indian National Young Academy of Science, and was elected its first chairperson by the founding members in June 2015. We started our discussion by touching on the GYA's annual general meeting, or AGM. Here's Anandita. In the AGM, we thought that the theme of anti-discrimination is very important, given that the Black Lives Matter movement was right then ongoing when we were doing the AGM. And we as an organization strongly feel about being inclusive, being diverse, and we put in a lot of thought into how we can become more diverse and more inclusive. And uh, personally to me, I thought it's very important that we work towards, uh, you know, looking into our organization itself and seeing that if there are avenues that, uh, through which we can improve and if we are doing it right. That was one aspect of it. The other was that this was a global movement in which we thought it was very important that the GYA should lend a voice because we uh, think it's important for us to give a voice to young scientists and being uh, an organization of young scientists and being a global organization, it was important for us to be involved in this global movement, which is talking about some very basic principles that we agree with and we think are at the core of the GYA. So this is why it was important that we participate in this, we take this up as a theme and we work towards the statement and we make our uh, voices join those of others who are uh, already part of the Black Lives Matter movement. Anadita also drew my attention to the academic discrimination that occurs between the global north and the global south. She encourages people to address this discrimination whenever possible, but also acknowledges that it sometimes can be a challenging issue to face. Discrimination happens at multiple levels everywhere. It's not just between the global south and north, but even within the countries, there are people who discriminate against women, uh, there aren't uh, equal uh, opportunities, uh, not uh, equal treatment when it comes to promotions, positions of uh, importance, etc. Personally, I have uh, faced some issues in the past, but I must, uh, must also say that it also depends a lot on the leadership. So we really need to have inclusive leadership at all levels and also uh, People who are discriminated against, people who face discrimination, they need to speak up. Uh, they need to tell that I feel harassed or you are not giving me equal treatment. And, uh, you know, 
taking it all silently doesn't work. You need to be vocal for your rights. Only then other people will respect uh, you enough and will be vocal for your rights too. So this is very important and that way I'm very glad that when we are talking about the Black Lives Matter movement that not only organizations are coming up and uh, supporting this movement, but also people who have been discriminated against are speaking up and talking of their experiences because I think it's very important. Also, from the perspective of younger people, when they see a person in front of them as a role model who speaks up against discrimination, says that I have faced this and I'm coming out in the open about it, then other people find a voice and have the courage to join this movement. So this is very important. One aspect that I want to highlight, uh, again, something very controversial, but I think somebody needs to talk about it. Uh, in India, I often talk to colleagues across disciplines and we all have this one uh, common concern that often when there are multiple groups of people working across the world on similar problems or on a similar theme of research, then colleagues often say that my paper was rejected from this uh, you know, very good journal, ABC, and uh, this was rejected with very trivial comments. And within a month, I see my competitor lab publishing a very similar paper in the same journal with uh, not, not even sometimes as robust results as we did. So we, in, in India at least, there have been many conversations in which I have felt, especially young people who are struggling to establish themselves in a field, often feel that there is a very subtle unwritten discrimination from the reviewers and editor, uh, editorial community, which are again dominated by the global north, unfortunately. And uh, I have faced it myself, even, uh, you know, I have had colleagues who have received uh, very blanket rejections uh, like recently I have received a rejection where somebody has actually said that uh, what I've done is uh, malpractice in science. But what I've really done is I have taken a paper which we have worked on, our own paper, taken this data, cited it, and used this for comparative analysis for, uh, for a new data set. And this is done throughout the scientific community. It's a very, very open and common practice. Then somebody says this is scientific misconduct, it really hurts. And uh, I also tell colleagues, you know, if you get a letter like this, if you think that the reviewing or the editorial process has been biased, please don't just crib among, about it among yourselves. Please write back and say that you feel uh, that there is a bias, say that you feel there has been discrimination. Maybe somebody did not notice it. Maybe nobody is to be blamed, you know, we, you, you can always respond. After that, you might not receive an apology, but at least do your bit, respond. So I'm going to respond to the editor saying that I felt bad, but every one of us need to do this. So it's one thing to realize that there is discrimination. It's another thing to speak out against discrimination. The community which feels uh, discriminated against needs to speak out give a voice to itself, and then others are surely going to stand by it. Speaking up for herself has been something that executive committee member Morale Dadvar has had to learn. Over her research career, she has experienced various forms of discrimination, sometimes from surprising sources. 
Morell is a postdoctoral researcher at Stuttgart Media University, Germany, and her research interests lie in the area of information retrieval and natural language processing. She is also heavily focused on linked open data. Here's Morell talking about her involvement in the GYA. So uh, I, I was the chair of the selection committee of the GYA in the past three years. And actually from the very first year that I joined the GYA, that was my first <laughs> um, uh, basically position that I had in the GYA. And um, it all started with my own personal experience. I think that might be interesting to hear beside all the other discrimination that I had experienced and maybe uh, we could talk about it later on. But when I was joining the GYA, uh, my uh, supervisor of five years uh, just told me that you're not good enough you know, to uh, join the GYA and I'm not going to write you a recommendation letter. Needless to say, and lucky for us, Morale did manage to become a member of the GYA. That brings us to her motivation to get involved in the anti-discrimination project itself. I had, I would say, one personal motivation, and I think that one important thing is to always talk about it. It's always to shout it out loud. And um, I think silence is the worst Thing to do, keep, keeping silent and not talking about it. So that is one, one my personal reason. And uh, as an organizational reason, let's say on behalf of the GYA, I think it's important to show that GYA cares, that GYA sees what is happening, what is uh, what are the problems in general uh, in the world, and it cares to react. So it's important to share uh, the GYA's perspective on, the, uh, on this matter and uh, share our concern on this matter and where we stand about it. So these are the two reasons. In addition to these two reasons, Morau spoke about being a woman in a male-dominated field as well as experiencing discrimination due to her nationality. So I think I'm one of those that I have uh, experienced the discrimination in so many different forms. <laughs> so I'm a, one of those well-experienced cases because, uh, let's say, so first when I left home, uh, I, that's, I, so that's when it mostly started. So I was experiencing discrimination both uh, in my field of study, because it's a very male-dominated field, the computer engineering and computer science, all-in-all computer, that uh, I was usually the only uh, female in my class, and it just continued to my uh, career and work, and this idea and perception that women are not really good in this uh, line of work is always there. And when you enter a conference room, the, the default is that you're not good because you're a woman. And uh, if you wear a dress, then you are definitely horrible because who wears a dress, you know? if you are a good scientist or specifically if you are a good computer scientist. So I was always, always fighting with this discrimination among men and women in my line of work and study, both during my studies and during my work. And um, 
again, most of the positions that are, let's say, call it technical positions, are always it always goes to men because they are considered to be better, even if they are not. And uh, I always my opinions are usually undermined in discussions, meetings, and so on. So, you know, it's a constant challenge that you have to always first prove yourself and then you can start working, you know, and I'm sure that's something that men do not usually experience and people just trust them because they are called the expert. And uh, so, this was one of the main challenges that I faced from the very first day of my studies till now that <laughs> I'm working and I'm established scientist. And so I always say that when I'm going to a meeting, I'm saying that, okay, I'm going to a war zone. <laughs> you know, that's always my thing. I'm going to a war zone. So that's how it was. That was one thing. And the other thing was always my nationality. So I was always this dangerous, Iranian coming from Middle East that from time to time I'm also a terrorist <laughs> that you know and uh, some countries I told you I've been to so many countries and I've uh, had different experiences in each country and there are those who are very blunt <laughs> and are very comfortable with expressing their minds and um, they just tell me <laughs> Or, uh, or those who you can see that they are not comfortable with you, but they are polite enough not to tell you in your face. So I, I would say that that's, again, something that uh, had always made everything just harder. You know, there are many, many positions that I was just rejected because of my nationalities. There were many communities that I couldn't join because of my nationality. Some of them were expl explicitly stated, some of them I just knew, you know. And, you know, so always politics are mixed with uh, everything, with everything, including science. So no matter how good of a scientist you are, just because you're Iranian, you know, it's, it's like a red line around you that everyone should be extra careful with you. And um, so that's, again, another type of discrimination that uh, I experienced. Unfortunately, Morale isn't the only GYA member who's faced adversity and discrimination in their research careers. Current Executive Committee member Mohamed El Hadidi, a professor of biomedical sciences at Zawail City for Science and Technology, Egypt, has stories of his own to share on this topic. Personally, also coming from a developing country, um, coming from Egypt, I usually face in submitting different grants, in submitting different research papers. Nonetheless, I see that the, these research grants or papers are outstanding. Some editors or some reviewers for this uh, project actually evaluate this based from where is it coming from. And I usually see that this is unfair. So um, when we discussed this during the uh, GYA conference, actually I was really excited about this because I felt it myself personally in different uh, steps over my scientific career. As a, a new executive member, you had some doing with coming up with the new themes for this, this next year. What specifically drew you to the anti-discrimination group? Um, well, regarding the GYA, like being like now a member for the GYA for in the, in the past three years, uh, I was also committed uh, now as uh, an executive committee member to uh, different 
portfolios like the working group portfolio and also the committee's portfolio and uh, i usually see in every meeting that these portfolios are kind of interconnected so as you we said like for the anti-discrimination it's kind of con connected to different working groups like the gya rainbow working group also the women in science working group many initiatives such as at-risk initiative scientific excellence working group so as managing or as a committee for uh, these working groups, I actually think that this anti-discrimination can actually interconnect all these working groups. And what do you think could be done to, to combat that sort of discrimination? Um, I think the GYA is, uh, is getting a, a great step ahead for this. Uh, so I think like the best way uh, for this is to develop the, uh, like guidelines. These guidelines is not shouldn't only be shared among uh, the GYA members, but also should be um, having more effort to disseminate to different like research entities and different uh, education entities as well. So we can, by this way, the GYA can really be the voice of young scientists, not only among its members, because we know that the GYA are actually committed in highest standards of anti-discrimination among its members, but also to share our voice to other entities as well. And really, I, what I really like that we moved from like, you know, yeah, I know that the themes is what Black Lives Matters, but like for the GYE, it moved beyond, you know, by, by race into different disciplines as well. That's why I really like this, you know, initiative as well. Are there any other portions of the, the initiative that you think are particularly important uh, well, also, just let me know also, um, like, tell you some kind of personal perspective, it, if this might be helpful for the broadcast itself. Uh, like, as you know, like, you know, like people coming from the Muslim community, you know, they usually, they have Friday, like today is off, you know, and because they have this kind of Friday praying, which is around noon or so, it's like Sunday uh, in Europe. So this okay. actually sometimes creates some kind of conflict. Uh, some people understand that those scientists can have like two or three hours break doing their uh, prayers uh, while they can even come in the weekends. Like for me, I was coming in the weekends, but sometimes I was really curious just to go and like do my prayers on Friday. Some scientists, you know, like through my 10 years being abroad, some scientists or some PIs actually understand this situation and some scientists can't understand this and they insist for their people who are coming from this Muslim minor communities that they can do it and they can like, you know, like divide the day and can, can take three, day, three hours break doing these prayers. And I feel that this is a kind of discrimination as well, based on religion. So this is also another aspect that I saw myself, not for me, but for other scientists as well, like doing this. Doing it for others, that is working on the anti-discrimination statement, not for their own benefit, but for the benefit of others, was a common theme during all of my discussions with GYA members and alumni alike. This should come as no surprise, I suppose, since a commitment to making a difference in society is a core principle of the GYA. The next GYA member I interviewed was Prosper Nagabonziza, who hails from Rwanda and who works at the Max Planck Institute for Solid State Research in Stuttgart, Germany. His research focuses on quantum matter heterostructures fabricated from complex oxides. And if you don't understand what I just said, don't worry. At least Prosper does. Living and working as he does in Europe, Prosper is no stranger to discrimination. But it didn't start there, actually. 
Here's Prosper sharing a story about applying for a travel visa in Africa. Uh, one time when I was uh, in South Africa, because that's where I did my master's, uh, I had to go to Europe for doing an experiment. Uh, then I had to apply for visa to go in to do such experiment. I will not mention which country. Uh, then when I went to apply for the visa, uh, they, I, my application was rejected and they said because of my passport, they said to, to give me a visa, it will require all the EU countries to agree on that. Uh, but what is strange was uh, when I talked to my former boss in South Africa and he, she came and she complained to the embassy, I was given the visa within two days. But before, when I went alone, they rejected my application saying all the EU countries need to agree. Then after two days, they said, come and pick a visa, which I think all the EU countries when did not agree on giving me a visa. It was just because they saw my passport and they rejected my application on the basis of my passport. When he became a GYA member in 2020, Prosper was more than happy to discover that one of the core themes that the GYA would be working on is anti-discrimination. And he knew that's the area he'd want to devote his time towards. My motivation uh, was uh, because uh, when I look in my background, uh, I saw or I experienced the discrimination. So then when I joined the Global Bank Academy, I saw this effort. I thought this also could be an opportunity for also to contribute in the voicing out against the discrimination, in particular for Black lives. What do you hope that this anti-discrimination statement actually accomplishes? So my my hope is uh, the statement will first make different, uh, let's say, for example, researchers or scientists be aware of the discriminations that are out there. And secondly, uh, probably some of the institutions, they may make some decisions or some measures that are going to counteract any kind of discriminations which are present in the institutions. Helping others achieve their potential is something that GYA alumni and immediate past co-chair Kuhn Vermeer knows a little about. During his years of GYA membership, he served as the head of working groups, as member of the executive committee, and was then selected as co-chair for 2019-2020. He was involved with the anti-discrimination group from an early stage. Here's Kuhn. In the beginning, I thought, well, the group uh, will, will do its thing. Uh, but, but then I also felt like, well, actually, maybe I, I, I can make uh, a contribution. And then more and more, I got involved into the content. Um, and for instance, one thing that I felt was important is to, um, although the, the Black Lives Matter uh, statement and, and movement is very important. I also felt it had an aspect of uh, really being uh, USA oriented, um, of course, because of the particular context and situation of what happened uh, with George Floyd, but also, uh, well, in every country, the situation of racism is different. Uh, and even if there is uh, racism against uh, Blacks um, in in uh, many different regions and countries, it's all different because of the different history and the different social situation. 
I mean, we know that Asians are discriminated in Africa and Africans are discriminated in, in, in Asia, for instance. And so uh, there is a whole uh, complexity of discrimination um, and racism that we actually need to, to take into account. Kuhn's area of expertise is the history and philosophy of science, and he raised an interesting aspect of discrimination that often goes unnoticed. This statement is, is only the beginning, I hope, of a, of a broader discussion and something I, I think that people haven't really been thinking about and talking about is the role of discrimination in the, in the construction itself of science. Uh, historically, because of a lot of what we know, a lot of scientific knowledge actually has been created in the course of colonization, uh, has been created through the suffering and suppression of other people. Um, there is lots of medical knowledge or botanical knowledge uh, that actually comes out of these practices of suppression. And this has been studied to some extent in, in the history of science, but I, I don't feel that this is really recognized in the broader discussion uh, today when we talk about science and discrimination. Um, and I mean, you, you see issues being raised about uh, artworks that have been taken away during colonization, for instance, at the British Museum and the Louvre and these kind of big museums um, have, have uh, artifacts and artworks that, that some say should be returned uh, to the, the countries that actually produced them so many, sometimes centuries uh, or millennia ago. Uh, but, but also in New Zealand, it's full of natural history uh, objects, uh, material from colonies and conquered regions. Um, and, and that has, has really a direct connection to the suppression of other people. Um, so it, it's another aspect that, that I, we haven't yet been, been discussing, and I haven't seen much discussion about it uh, in relation to uh, the discrimination uh, discussion in, in the sciences, but I think it is important to really think about how science itself, to, to, to some extent, is actually built on these practices of suppression. This insight from Kuhn was one of the many that were shared with me during the interviews I conducted for this episode and speaking with so many talented and engaged people was really a privilege. I am hugely grateful to everyone who appears in this podcast for devoting their time, and I apologize for only using portions for the interview. Alas, with so many volunteers, there was no option. At any rate, my discussion with Kuhn resulted in a segment that I knew would be a good way to wrap up this episode. Here's Kuhn again. We really need to look at ourselves and to think about, uh, am I discriminating even at this moment? And especially if you're in a position of power, for instance, if you're evaluating other scientists, even if uh, evaluating uh, other, other young scientists to be uh, as part of the member selection committee of the GOA, for instance, like, um, is there implicit bias uh, in here that I need to take into account? Um, and that is so important because otherwise, uh, there, you, you construct a we uh, that is speaking from a position of, of moral superiority or, or righteousness, um, accusing others of being racist, right? And I don't think that will work very well um, unless we recognize that, that we are also always uh, already discriminating ourselves. And I think only then when, when we really take that position that that action is possible. I 
that, that we can really move forward and, and try to create behavioral change. So I guess in the end, the, for me, the, the, the big message is that there is work to do for all of us, and especially also by, by looking at ourselves and seeing how we can improve. This episode of Voices of Young Scientists was produced by James Curtis for the Global Young Academy. Production assistance was provided by Kevin Bolter.